here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Since we have moved into a new space of being in the world, spending most of our time at home with our children and with our loved ones and looking for things to do like jigsaw puzzles and, and such. Um, I've kind of gone back to trying to be a little bit more present online on social media. I'd sort of drifted away from it because it was just so cantankerous and the vitriol was so strong that I sort of moved away from it. But I'm trying to be back on it now and, and tap into the various platforms that I'm a part of, Facebook and Twitter and WordPress and Instagram. And on Twitter, there's this interesting thing that happens, and I, I love it and I've taken to it. Uh, I don't often actually tweet on my own on Twitter because I can't quite figure out what to say. Uh, I'd like to say something profound, but everything I think of sounds pretty repetitive from what's already been said. So I usually now like other people's tweets, or and some of them I, I repost with comments. Um, but there are some people on Twitter who, when they see a comment that they really, really like and that they want other people to pay attention to, they, they retweet the link with this word. That's all. Word, period. And that always tells me I probably ought to read it because they're not saying a lot about it, but they're saying it's a, a word, and that word needs to be listened to, and that word needs to be paid attention to. And so I've taken to doing that, you know. Like, I take my very favorite tweet of the day, and I uh, like it, and then I retweet it with word. And I'm just so proud, you know, that I did that. Well, um, you know, a lot of people talk about the Bible being the word of God. And, um, and there's something to be said for that. Um, kind of depending on how you take that, some people take it very, very literally, and others of us uh, take it as um, that it is the Word of God, and we are to be present in reading and understanding and interpreting that Word. Well, um, today's lesson, or Bible reading, I guess, is what we ought to call it, um, it has a lot of words. In fact, we didn't read the whole lesson. The whole lesson is 45 verses. Chapter 11 of John, verses 1 through 45. And we only read the last third of that reading. So there are a lot of words. And there are many interesting things we could say about the Gospel of John. And among them are that, is that the writer actually deals with life with Jesus' life and ours life, our lives, and deals with death, Jesus' death and our deaths, and does that both literally and figuratively or metaphorically. And the Gospel of John is a perfect example of that. I mean, the Gospel of John throughout the Gospel has the people and the disciples 
listening to the teachings of Jesus or watching and responding to the healing that he is doing and then saying something and totally missing Jesus' point. That they take everything so literally that they miss the spiritual point that Jesus is trying to make, to raise them up, to help them understand the spirit. And it's not that Jesus is doing away with the literal aspect, but there's more that he wants people to see and understand. And so take, for example, our reading from a couple of weeks ago with Jesus encountering the woman at the well, who is a Samaritan, and they have this conversation about thirsting and water, and Jesus actually says to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked, and he would have given you living water. And the woman says, give me that water so that I may not thirst, right? And she's talking very literally about what water means. And he's talking very spiritually. And that happens all throughout the Gospel of John, the confusion. So in today's reading, we are dealing with both literal death and metaphorical death. After all, Jesus is looking square in the face of his own death as he looks at the tomb of Lazarus, right? I mean, it's so clear in the writing of the Gospel of John. Uh, Jesus comes to the place where they have laid Lazarus, and it says that it is a cave with a stone rolled in front of it. Oh, the language is so clearly directing us to the fact that Jesus is looking at his own death. And, and yet his words point to things spiritual, even then. Even so, the words that he speaks there at the tomb of Lazarus point beyond this death, beyond his death, to beyond something very literal to something metaphorical or spiritual. It is important at this point to remind you, as I know you know, that the Gospel of John is organized around seven astounding signs that reveal Jesus' identity and mission. It begins with the story of the wedding at Cana in Galilee. You know the story. Big wedding, a lot of people are having a great time, it goes on for days, and they run out of wine, which is like the worst faux pas in the culture. And um, Mary's mother comes to him and says, you know, they've run out of wine, and, and Jesus sort of ignores her and then tells the stewards to go and get the water, the ritual water, and it is turned to wine. That's the very first sign. And then there will be five others until we get to this sign, the raising of Lazarus. And all this is designed catch our breath, to point us toward God's realm, to draw us into a life with God, to reveal Jesus, the rabbi of Nazareth, as the one showing us the way. That's what this is all about. And just before this startling sign, Jesus had declared himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. 
so that they may have life and have it abundantly. And now Jesus makes good on that teaching because Jesus is literally risking his life to save Lazarus. And so sets in motion the sort of backlash of the religious authorities that will lead him to the cross. So let me remind us that our reading this morning, as I said, is part of a much larger passage. Jesus has just escaped Jerusalem and near death by stoning because more and more people are believing in him because of his teachings and healings. And he has chosen to directly confront the religious authorities by teaching and healing on the Sabbath. He gets word that his close friend Lazarus is dying near death. Lazarus, of course, is the brother of Mary and Martha. And so Jesus, because they are his dear friends, determines to go back to Bethany, which is only, by the way, two miles outside of Jerusalem. I might remind us here that we are but two weeks from the cross. Friday. The disciples question his return because they believe he is risking his death. But Jesus determines to go, but then delays for two days. Now, much is made of this delay. Much is made of it. Scholars have debated it for centuries. But Jesus is clear that Lazarus is dead and that now he will go there to reveal the glory of God. What we also don't hear in today's reading is that immediately following this sign of raising Lazarus, and in fact, it doesn't, this, this, this information doesn't appear in any of the lectionary readings for this time of year, is that after Lazarus is raised, the religious authorities will begin a plot to kill him he's evidence of the work of Jesus. They will also begin a plot to kill Jesus. And their reasoning goes like this. Signs such as raising the dead will inspire the masses to believe in him. And the Roman occupiers fearing an insurrection will crack down on us, destroy our temple and our nation. Now, often in crises, perhaps like the one we're in right now, people make wrong-headed decisions. They think they're making right decisions, but they turn out to be wrong-headed decisions. And the lens looking back on this scenario might say that. What is also interesting is that the compilers of the lectionary, the assigned readings for each Sunday, pair this story of the raising of Lazarus with one of my favorite Hebrew scripture stories. And that's intentional, because the people of Jesus' day and the people who were part of the John community that we call the Johannine community would have heard in the story of the raising of Lazarus, the ancient story of the prophet Ezekiel, who had a vision of going to the Valley of Dry Bones. And, and there was a reason that he had this vision, because Ezekiel and his people had been exiled to Babylon, and, and many had died, and there was literally dry bones of the people of Israel, strung 
from Israel to Babylon. And like the story of the raising of Lazarus, Ezekiel's vision operates on both a literal and metaphorical level. So there are many, many dry bones, but in his visions, he, he comes to understand that the exile is not just about physical death, but about spiritual death as well. And he hears uh, God say to him, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, being a wise prophet, says, you know. You know God. And God says, prophesy to the bones. And Ezekiel does, and limb from limb, the bones come together have new life. Both Ezekiel and Jesus are faced with death, perhaps a lot like we are today. So, it cannot escape us that the coronavirus has held a mirror up to our faces to see if we're still breathing. Oh, and it's not like death and destruction weren't already present in our world. I know this is hard to remember because every single news report you see, every single newspaper you read, whether it's online or with real paper, every single report you hear is about our, our numbers with the coronavirus. But I just want you to remember that even though it's hard to remember, that we're in the midst of a climate, global climate crisis. Our country is in the midst of an of a resurgence of racism and white privilege that one ramp runs rampant. There is still an opioid crisis. We are still faced with overconsumption and addictions and isolation and loneliness. There are still children in the richest country in the world who will go to bed this evening hungry. We continue to demonize people from other countries and deny those seeking, seeking asylum in a country that was formed by immigrants and asylum seekers. There still exists a fracture running down the very middle of our country as we think about who can best get us out of this mess and as we prepare for an election in the fall. And hate crimes and violence against those who are seen as the other are rising. Shall I go on? None of this has gone away. It will be there virus is over. The question is, in the mirror of the coronavirus, this virus that is leveling the playing field, no one is immune. Show us what the world can really be like. Are we still breathing? And Jesus, at the risk of his own life, speaks words into the melee of his life and his world. As the coronavirus as the conversation between Jesus and Martha and Mary unfolds, he speaks. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Maybe, maybe we could change that for our circumstances. Maybe we could say instead, did I not tell you that if you trusted, you would see the glory of God? And the story continues saying, so they took away the stone. And Jesus speaks more words, looking upward and saying, Abba, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of all these people who are crowded around so that they may believe that you sent me. 
And then he says, Lazarus, come out and unbind him and let him go. And what is important to remember is in all these words Jesus speaks, there are two things the writer of the gospel of John wants to remind us. And that is, Jesus is the word. It's not just about the words he speaks. He embodies the word. The word of God that brought everything into creation. The word of God that called the people out of Egypt and into new life. The word of God spoken through the prophets. And now the word of God in flesh. God with us. Emmanuel. God with us in us and between us and beyond us. Jesus is the word. Remember the beginning of the Gospel of John? In the beginning was the Logos, which is the Greek word for word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The word was in the beginning with God. This, my friends, this Jesus incarnate is our hope and the promise of God. Word. You see, Jesus was and is and will be the word for us in the world, in life and in death. And so I want to go back up to the story briefly and point out two things that are important to remember. The first is, as you hear Jesus speak in this story, you will continually hear Jesus point to God. Jesus doesn't take this as his own. Even though, according to the song, the great hymn in Philippians 2, Jesus was, was with God and was God, but didn't count that as something to count on. Instead, Jesus points to God. And so, I, I want us to remember that. The work and words of Jesus... Jesus as the Word of God is always and always and always about loving God with heart and mind and soul and strength in everything, pointing his life to God. Secondly, there is this tender, tender moment when Jesus is weeping at the graveside of Lazarus and the people say, see how he loved him. Because you see, Jesus was also about, about revealing God through the love of neighbors. Neighbors like Lazarus and Mary and Martha and the disciples and all the people who were following, especially those marginalized and oppressed and poor and suffering and hungry. Jesus loved the people on behalf of God. And, and so... You know, I love Richard Rohr, and I read his daily meditations. And I just want to read you what he had to say uh, on Friday. Richard Rohr says this, I believe the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus is summed up in the climactic line from the Song of Solomon. Love is stronger than death. And he goes on and says, Love is all that remains. Love and life are finally the same thing. And we know that for ourselves, once we have walked through death, that that is truth. Love has you. Love is you. 
Love alone and your deep need for love recognizes love everywhere else. Remember that you are already are what you are seeking. The Apostle Paul reminds us that any fear that your lack of faithfulness could cancel God's faithfulness is absurd. Love has finally overcome fear, and your house is being rebuilt on a new and solid foundation. This foundation was always there, but it takes us a long time to find it. It is love alone that lasts, and you have love in your life and been loved by the one who is eternal and true. So I want to tell you this. If when we emerge from this virus, we want to change the world, it will be through this kind of love that you're already seeing hints of. You know, Jesus said, um, there is nothing greater than that a person lay down their life for a friend. And we're seeing that happen all over the United States as, as health workers are going courageously into the fight. And what they are doing is agape love, which means sacrificial love. There's no self-centered in it at all. It is what Jesus did on the cross. Sacrificially gave love and poured love into the world. Jesus is the Logos, the Word. In our modern lesson today, we heard the poet say, As you stand, as you stand at any grave, literal or metaphorical, can you exclaim, Raise me then beyond time to your unnameable dimension? Can you, at any grave, literal or metaphorical, say that? Can you summon the courage to step forth, as many of us have done when Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, and LGBTQIA plus people know what that means? It means a little death, a death and a loss of family and friends, and yet it is a call to freedom. That is a metaphorical death calls us out into freedom. And then we are called to unbind people and let them go. Jesus didn't unbind them. Jesus told the people there, go and unbind him and let him go. And that's what we're called to do. And when this virus recedes, then we will need to go to those who are, um, who are waiting at our borders. We will need to go to those who are hungry and thirsty. We will need to go to those in prison. We will need to go forth and be the sacrificial love that Jesus calls us to be. And then we may be able to save him, as Angie did for us this morning. No storm can shake my inmost calm, while to that rock I am clinging, since love is Lord of heaven and earth. How can I keep from singing? Because if you can do that, you can proclaim that love is greater than death, you will reveal in your own words and in your own life Jesus in plain sight. Word.